Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. Ashley Stremme grew up on the dirt tracks of central Pennsylvania watching her dad race sprint cars and has turned her passion for motorsports into a media career and a thriving dirt modified chassis company with husband David. Besides appearing regularly as a co-host on MRN's Winged Nation, Ashley has made TV appearances as a pit reporter for CBS Sports Network with plans for doing more media in the future. She joins the show this time to chat about growing up in such a rich area for dirt racing, getting her first chances on Winged Nation, growing lethal chassis, her thoughts about the upcoming sprint car season, and much more. Through the early part of the conversation, you might hear noises and equipment in the background, but that was because Ashley joined me from the grandstands at Volusia Speedway Park, where they were doing track prep for Dirt Car Nationals. Should clear up near the six-minute mark. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ashley Stremme. I guess I want to start with... When you are a, 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 you know, a little girl, a teenager back in Pennsylvania, you know, growing up, did you think at the time that dirt racing would be or would end up being as big a part of your life as it is right now? Never in a million years. Um, honestly, it's what I love to do. My dad raced sprint cars. So being at the racetrack was my happy place, you know, um, but literally if I never in a million years thought this would become what it has become. Um, I'm extremely blessed. I knew that racing some way would be involved but probably more from the fan side of things than actually being knee deep in it like I am right now um it's been incredible and I wouldn't trade it for anything tell me like do you remember like you know or, or what is your kind of earliest memory of of going to the racetrack and I'm assuming it's Port Royal but but what is kind of those you know those early memories yeah so probably my most vivid memory as a kid um actually was at Williams Grove I was probably five or six years old. Um, my dad was in a bad accident a couple weeks prior and broke both his legs. And so we were there just to watch a friend of ours race and he went to the pits and my mom and I decided to go to the grandstands. Uh, little did I know that at five or six years old, I was going to be introduced to Beer Hill Gang <laughs> or what it is now. Um, mom said to me about halfway through, she's like, man, this place is getting rowdy. And at that point it's now Beer Hill Gang. But, uh, but no, my dad was racing or we went to watch and our buddy came out on the track and he's given us a little number like this. And here comes his backup car out and there comes a guy waving and my dad with two broken legs still managed to, to climb in a race car for some reason. I love it. What did I know your dad raced sprint cars, but did he always race sprint cars or what, you know, was it, were there other cars that he raced? Yeah, no, he started out in mini sprints, I, I would say, is kind of where things really started. Obviously, you raced dirt bikes and go-karts and that kind of thing growing up. But um, mini sprints and then straight into sprint cars. And then he dabbled with little things like Odysseys, if you remember those back in the day. And um, But yeah, 410 sprint car racing was where he probably had most of his career. When you are growing up, is, is racing something that you yourself tried or wanted to try? I mean, was that something that drew you or did you have fun just running around the pit area and just being a kid? No, I started racing go-karts when I was about six years old. Um, that kind of went away and that's when dad kind of really stepped into the 410 world. As I got older, um, I started racing enduro cars um, when I was 15, 16 years old. And at one point, dad actually wanted to put me in a sprint car. And at that point in our family, we couldn't field two race cars. And I knew that I'd kind of be shutting down his dream for me to just try 
to make it. Um, so at that point, I, I wasn't really ready to climb behind the wheel because I knew my dad was still having fun. He was still loving it. Um, now that I look back on it, do I wish that I would have taken that opportunity? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to race the better half dash at Charlotte um, with the women in the NASCAR world and, and do things like that here and there. And it kind of scratches my itch, um, but not really. Uh, I've been begging my husband to get me a modified, but he won't. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> it doesn't. No, but we got a lot going on, too. So, yeah. Like as you kind of grow older and, and, you know, like, you know, get past high school and things like that was, was racing and, and dirt racing, like, you know, did it stay a part of your life or was there a point where it kind of went away and then came back? Yeah. So my dad was still racing sprint cars while I was in college. So literally every, I'd made sure when I laid my college schedule out that my Friday morning classes were early so I could get back on the road home to, to catch up with dad before he left for the racetrack. Um, so that was pretty much through my college career. And then after he quit racing, there definitely was a little lull there. Um, obviously I was still going to the track just because it's where my friends were. It's what I love to do. Um, but I was still involved in racing. Um, I was working as Miss Motorsports. I was doing promo model stuff, um, working for different companies in the racing industry. So even though there was a lull on the competitor side of things with my dad, no longer racing, I was still actively involved in one way or another. When did you, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, a, a big thing that fans probably know you from is, is, you know, all of the media work you do TV and wing nation and all of these things. Was that media stuff? Like when did that kind of come into play that that could potentially be a career path for you going forward? Um, honestly, it all started with wing nation. Um, I had moved to Charlotte uh, with my husband, David Stremme, and uh, Kendra and Steve obviously had Wing Nation, and they were trying to find, when Kendra couldn't be there, they were trying to find another female who knew enough about sprint car racing that could chat it up with Steve every single week when Kendra couldn't be there. And uh, I got this phone call one day, and they're like, hey, do you, do you want to be on Wing Nation? And I'm like, um, yeah, I'd love to, but I have no formal training whatsoever. You're going to throw this central PA girl into a world with a microphone and I have no idea what I'm doing. And, um, here I am <laughs> never, like I said earlier, never in a million years did I think it would come to this. Um, obviously Steve has been a, a huge leader into my learning of, of what my knowledge that I know now on the media side of things. Um, but I've always been that chatty person. Like I can chat to Billy, you know, two rows down just because it's something that I enjoy. As long as our passions are, are the same and we have the same interests, I can really talk to anyone if necessary. So that side of things wasn't so bad. It was just more of overcoming that issue of, you know, not being foreseen as that because that's not what I went to school for. That's not what I, I did. I had no formal training whatsoever. Um, so that was kind of hard for me to get over. I still get nervous to this day. Um, you slap a microphone in front of me. I'm, I still get the jitters, but that's because I love it. When you like, you know, what was that career path initially? Like, what did you do in college and, and what did you think you were setting yourself up for? Yeah, I went to school for graphic design. Um, I was wanting to get into the gaming world and, and creating video games. And eventually, I mean, my uppermost goal was to work for Pixar um, but I, as soon as I got out of college, then I started working at a newspaper, you know, laying out the papers, making ads, doing that kind of thing. And 
then that quickly all changed when I moved to, to North Carolina to I end up marrying my husband. <laughs> I, I'm curious, like when you're growing up in, uh, you know, obviously central Pennsylvania is this massive 410 sprint car area. And, and now you're like kind of so heavily involved in, in modifieds, but like, you know, were, like, were you fans of multiple divisions, multiple categories? Were you a pavement fan? Like, I mean, or has it always just kind of been 410 sprint cars? Um, 410 sprint cars is definitely my first love. I do enjoy late models significantly, but asphalt racing, I'll be honest. I, to this day, I can't really find enjoyment in it. Um, it's what my husband did at the time. So, you know, him and I would always argue. He'd tell me that, you know, dirt was for farming and I'd tell him that, you know, asphalt was for getting to the real racetrack. So <laughs> we always had that argument. So obviously, as you can see, I won the war there, but, um, no, I just, uh, it, it takes a lot for me to get involved into the asphalt world. Um, a lot of laps, a lot of days spent at the track for one night of racing um, and a lot of money spent too. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was definitely a, a sprint car girl all my life. I still am. It's still my first love. Um, when sprint cars are on the track here, you'll catch me just flying up real quick just so I can watch. Um, but obviously the modifieds pay my bills, um, but I love them too. But I throw the late models in there. I really enjoy the late models as well. How did you do kind of with your dirt fandom? Like, you know, you're with David, obviously going to the racetrack a lot. Like, were you able to kind of keep up still with, with the dirt stuff that was happening? Or did you, you know, did you kind of have to like come back to that later, you know, after you and David kind of transition? Yeah. So when you're in the cup garage every single weekend for four days out of the, out of the week, you know how it is. You have a lot of downtime. So I was able to keep up. Um, that was kind of before you know, dirt vision and, and pay-per-view and flow racing and, and things like that really became prominent. So it was more of, you know, reading your, your local news, auto racing news, your area auto racing news and, and following stuff online with host heads or, or whatever the platform was. Um, but yeah, I definitely tried to keep up with it even when we were on the road. In having your involvement with, you know, 410 Sprinkler Racing now versus you growing up around it back then, are there differences kind of in tracks in, in central Pennsylvania in the racing, or, or do you think that it's just kind of carried on and it's, it still kind of is what it was? Um, there's definitely changes. Obviously you look at the car itself. Technology has come a long way, but yet these guys are still setting up on the same setup blocks they have for the last 50 years. Um, but that being said, we were local Saturday night racers. We didn't, travel a series, you know, where we weren't with the world of outlaws, which is absolutely incredible. But, you know, when I was a kid, the world of outlaws are just as big as they are to me now. Um, it is the world of outlaws. It's the premier series, but I think things have definitely changed. Um, basically on the, I want to say maybe after the races are over, a lot of these guys load up and get out of there where before I remember, you know, hanging out with Ronald Laney when he would come to town and so many different guys that would, when they did come to town and it was still a Saturday night show for us, even though it was the world of outlaws, you hung out. The camaraderie was a lot different than I think it is today. Um, these guys are racing 90 plus shows a year. So Volusia is a little bit different just because they're here for a week, but these guys got to load up and get to the next place. And it's going to take them probably six, 10 hours, depending on where they're going. And sometimes, yeah, it's just down the street, but I think the camaraderie has changed for the fans drivers over the years. 
I, and I guess kind of similar question for, you know, you know, this kind of mod world that you exist in now with lethal, lethal chassis, what are kind of differences? I mean, and I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, that kind of pack up and go on to the next thing is probably consistent there as well, but, you know, kind of similarities and differences between the mod world and the sprint car world. Yeah. The mod world's a little bit more laid back. Um, I'd say that the sprint car world has become a little bit more corporate because you do have large sponsors coming in. Um, I think the mod world still does have that local dirt track down home feel. Um, a lot of these guys have toter homes or, or bring their campers. So they're staying at the racetrack instead of headed to a hotel. Um, so you still have that, Hey, let's have a beer afterwards in the pits. We'll all hang out. We'll kind of debrief our night and, and just enjoy each other and enjoy why you're here because yeah, we're all here to race. We're all here to win, but it's about the fun that you're having along the way. So it, it is a little different, I do think, um, but there's still a lot of similarities. We're all still competitive, no matter for racing wheelbarrows or 410 spring cars or modifieds or whatever it is. We're all competitive and we all want to win. So at the end of the day, that's still the same. You guys, you and David with Lethal Chassis have obviously had a ton of success um, and, and even for a company that hasn't even been around that many years. But what were the origins of Lethal Chassis? Where did that kind of come from? You know, why did you guys decide to start doing that? You know, what, what's kind of that origin story? Yeah, so David was kind of wanting to step away from Cup at that time. Um, things were kind of winding down. There really wasn't a clear path for him to go in the, in the next step. And so he really just wanted to step away at that point. And he had maybe raced six or seven <laughs> dirt races in general, let alone, I think, maybe four mod races. And David's work ethic is pretty incredible. Um, so when he came to me with the idea to build mods, at first I was like, hold on a second, you've raced dirt five or six times, like, and now you're just going to build a dirt modified. Um, we were playing with them. And like I said, only had raced a handful of times, but the, the guys that we were working with, the chassis builder that we had, we couldn't get the parts that we needed. We couldn't get the development and the help that we needed at the time. And David's like, I'm pretty sure I can do this. It's four wheels, tin and tubing. Like we can make this happen no matter if it's dirt or asphalt. And uh, like I said, I knew his work ethic. So at the end of the day, I knew that he was going to do no matter what it took to make sure that we could at least get headed down the right path. If it didn't end up working out well, um, obviously we would have had to try something different, but it was kind of crazy. I was definitely on board, but there was still that moment of uncertainty. Um, I'll never forget our very first night out in our car. I literally, before he we went out, I was like, God, if this is a sign, like you need to show it to me, like that we need to keep driving this way. And, uh, he went out, set the new track record at County Line Raceway in Elk, or not in Elkin, where is that? Elm City, North Carolina. And uh, then we won the feature that night. So that pretty much was, was God telling me this is the way we needed to go. How long did it kind of take you guys to gain traction? I, I remember... I can't remember if it was 2014, 2015, going to Dirt Car Nationals and, and Strimmy winning. And then like the next day, like Jason Bolio, like buying the car up from under him. And like, I know that was probably pretty early on, but like, how long did it take for people to kind of start to realize what you guys had going on? We were very blessed at the beginning. Um, we kind of hit a hot streak right out the box. Um, one guy who took a chance on us uh, went out to his first race in Screven, Georgia, and he ended up winning there. And so it really just kind of all snowballed so quickly. I don't even think we expected it to happen that quickly. 
Um, and then, like you said, Jason ended up buying our car turnkey here and we only had one car at that time. So we ended up sitting out the rest of the week and just basically helping him. And that's where I think our customer service is so important. And that's why we only build 25 to 35 cars a year, just because we want to make sure our customers are taken care of. They know that they can call at any time and David's going to pick up the phone. Um, and that just really speaks for our company. You know, we have incredible customers. Um, they lean on us, but we also lean on them and they know they're a part of something much bigger and they're part of a family with us. Um, and that's really where it came from. I think every year, but last year was the first year we didn't sell a car here, one of David's cars here. Um, and now this year we've already had people inquiring, but none of our cars are for sale this year. <laughs> what, uh, how do you guys kind of split, you know, running the company in, in, in terms of, you know, what do you do? What does David do? And, and how does that kind of work? Honestly, when you own your own business, you do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, we have two full-time, actually three full-time employees now. And then we have two guys that are contract laborers on the side. Um, so David is literally the one welding the cars together. Um, people are astonished by that even to this day when they see him welding on the car when they walk in the shop. I guess they just don't expect that. Um, but no, I handle basically phone calls, part sales, you know, social media, all the office paperwork stuff, but don't think for one minute that if we're a little bit behind in the shop or, you know, one guy is out that I'm not on the shop floor assembling parts or bleeding brakes or doing whatever I can to help out. Um, honestly, at the end of the day, we all have to make the, the wheel turn. So whatever it takes is, is really what it boils down to. The, the kind of world of, of modified chassis seems like it's like super competitive. Like there's so many, you know, different guys kind of building different things. And, and like, there's so many modifieds throughout the, throughout the country. How do you kind of keep up with things as they change? I mean, is like, is Dave kind of, you know, is, is he kind of constantly iterating? Like, is he using his races to improve the chassis? Like, you know, what does that kind of process look like? Yes, absolutely. That's kind of the beauty of having your chassis builder being a driver, um, because a lot of guys will come up and they'll be like, oh, what do you got on your car? We don't have this. And David's like, hold up, hold up. Like this could be a $5,000 piece. It could be a $500 piece, but we don't know if it's even going to work. So let me test it. Let me do the R&D for you guys. And then you guys can go to work and we'll determine if, if it's the right thing. So I think that's really what makes it good for us. A lot of these guys are out here to, to race for a living. Um, we don't, we race for fun. We race because we love it, but most importantly, we race to help our business. Um, you know, so to me as a wife and somebody who's extremely competitive, it gets frustrating to me knowing that on any given night, we're throwing the kitchen sink at our race car just to try new things when I'm like, I just want to win, you know, <laughs> so, but that's what it takes. Um, obviously our business comes first, so we got to make sure that our guys can, can be fast, but we need to be able to help them be fast. And so, you know, sometimes we're completely out in left field, but it's because we're trying something and to just go test every single week, a becomes financially draining and B it's, it just doesn't provide the same atmosphere as actually being on the racetrack in a race situation. Um, so there's a lot to be said for trying things when you're actually racing instead of just going and testing. What's your guys' shop situation? I know you were in Mooresville, but are, are you in now in Pennsylvania? Or do you have a second place in Pennsylvania? Like, what's what's that look like? No, we're still in Mooresville at the moment. We'll be there until probably end of April, beginning of May. And then everything we hope, fingers crossed, will be uh, up and moved and we can be from 
Mooresville to Mifflin Town um, shut down for two to three weeks tops and then completely back full functioning in Pennsylvania. And as you guys like kind of set your schedule every year, you know, you don't run a tour, you don't run a series, but how do you decide where and, and when to go race? Volusia is always on the schedule no matter what. Um, just because that rat race of off season, as they call it, is pretty hectic for us. That's our busy season with building cars. Um, and as for that, there really isn't anything on our schedule from that point on. Um, you know, David might have an idea as to a couple of things he'd like to hit, but Again, our business really dictates what we do. Um, currently, we're booked through end of August right at the moment. Um, so that limits, and we know we have a three-week shutdown in there with our move. So that that really dictates when we can go racing and when we can't. Um, basically, it's just a build, hope you're ahead of schedule, and if you are, then you can head off to it for a weekend if there's something you want to go hit. But really, we don't we don't build a schedule. It's kind of just pick and choose as we go and how our schedule allows us to. You got to do some TV this year and, and I'm curious about how that experience was. And, and it was, I, I don't know all the races that you did, but I know for sure you did late models at Cedar Lake. So like, was that like a weird transition trying to do late model stuff when you're kind of so heavily involved in these other worlds? No, not at all, because I'm really close with a lot of late model guys. Um, in fact, I'm probably closer with the late model guys than I am the sprint car world because the sprint car world sees me as media. You know, we can't, can't tell her all this. Yeah, I can't talk to her. We'll go tell somebody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love my late model guys. Um, and I think there's a kind of a connection between the late model and the modified world. Obviously they're not the same cars, but there's a ton of similarities. Um, so David works with a bunch of those guys and picks their brain and vice versa. And so there's a, a nice little, kind of deal we've built with several of those guys. So with the late model world, it, it's my second home. I'll, honestly, um, a lot of, a lot of those guys are my close friends. And so a place like Cedar Lake, when the sprint cars and the late models are there, it's really a perfect world for me. Are you going to get more opportunities to be able to do TV stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I know we're working on some stuff coming up in April. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to really drop anything just yet, but, uh, <laughs> There's some big dirt asphalt place coming up here in April. <laughs> and uh, so I'm extremely excited and we'll see what that becomes. But yes, there are some things on the horizon. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your background right now, because uh, it, those people that are going to end up watching this are going to see Volusia Speedway Park behind you. Um, and when most folks hear this, Dork Car Nationals will be mostly over for the modifieds. But how is the week going for you? You know, what is it about Volusia that's that's fun for you and David? Like, and, you know, just kind of give me an idea of, of what that place is for you guys. Well, you know, it's it's a way to get out of the cold but it's been pretty darn cold here this week. <laughs> um, today's actually supposed to be the first nice day. It's supposed to get up to the seventies. So fingers crossed, but honestly, that's, that's why we do come here. Um, like I said, it's a rat race for us the last eight weeks, trying to get, make sure everybody has what they need, have their cars ready because this is the super bowl for us. Um, it's a huge race. There's 96 cars here in the modified division, which is a record. Um, so that's absolutely insane. 22, 21 of them are ours. Um, they're lethal chassis. So we're running around here like crazy. Um, but it's just to get out of the weather. It's, it's that cabin fever, you know, you've been cooped up all winter long. You're just ready to get back racing and you get to do it with all your friends. So it's just that 
and it's it's a it's a different vibe here at Volusia. I think everybody's just excited to get back racing. So it has a little bit of electric that comes with it. Um, so far this week, we haven't finished worse than fourth. Um, we have two fourth place finishes, and last night we finished third. Um, obviously, we're we're trying things so that again, that the competitor in me is like. I just want a Gator trophy. Like that's all I want. Um, but we're lucky to have a couple of those already. But like I said, we're out here trying things and, and trying to make our cars fatter, faster and help our customers. Once the season kind of gets rolling, how do you personally kind of balance lethal and wing nation and doing TV hits? Like how does that all kind of work together? It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, um, I don't know how I've managed to, to make it, uh, you know, that saying, fake it till you make it. Well, I'm right on par with that. Um, it's crazy. It gets a bit insane. I know David's ready to wring my neck sometimes because the TV stuff especially is, was pretty last minute. So I'd be like, Hey, it's Tuesday. They want me to fly out Friday. And he's like, well, we've got four cars going out this week. Like we've got things going on in Pennsylvania with the buildings up there going on. And I'm like, We'll, we'll make it work. You're like, bye. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's thankfully he's pretty flexible with it. Um, that's probably the biggest thing is I feel like him and I do everything together. Literally. We, we race together. We have fun together. We work together. We literally spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. Um, which is unheard of for most couples. So we do have a cool little deal of how we manage things. Um, there's a level of respect that, you know, I don't commit to anything till after I've run it by him and vice versa. Um, it does get a little crazy, especially, you know, wing nation. We, we basically tape every single Monday. So that's a given, um, unless, you know, Steve gets caught on the NASCAR world in a rain out or something like that. Um, but so that's a pretty solid deal, but then you throw in the TV stuff on top of that. And then you throw our schedule into it and then a move to Pennsylvania and water main breaks and things going wrong with buildings. And, you know, it gets a little hectic, but you know, at the end of the day, you just roll with it. Make it till yeah. you make it. Like I said, <laughs> as we sit here right now, it's Friday. The It's the first day of, of world of outlaw sprint car series. You've been at Volusia, you know, up to this point. So you've seen the first two all-star nights, Put your put your media hat on. What are you excited to see this year from the sprint cars? You know what what tracks, what drivers, like you know what what are your kind of overall thoughts on what we're about to kind of witness? I think this is going to be a really exciting year. Obviously, there's been so much uh, silly season that happened so late this year. Uh, you know, people are what still announcing a week or two weeks ago what they were doing for the year, which is extremely late. So, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting and exciting and crazy more than anything year for them, especially because there's no break this year. You know, usually they had a few weeks off before they hit their second race. Now they go straight to, I think it's Rome and I don't even know the schedule off the top of my head, but I think that's going to throw a wrench into it for them as well, because they always tell you that the sprinkler guys will say, ah, Volusia, there's no other place like it. We just kind of race there. And then if it's good, great. If it's not, we throw it out. It doesn't matter. Um, but their schedule's pretty intense this year. It'll be interesting to see if they make it to California with, you know, everything that's happened in the world with COVID and that kind of thing. Um, but I think it's going to be pretty exciting. And, you know, Logan Schuhart, I know we talked about him a lot last year. He really set the world on fire and he's already proven with the all-stars that, you know, he's going to be another force to be reckoned with this year. So 
I'm, I'd be excited to see if he can't give Brad and Donnie a run for their money this year for the championship. No, I, I super agree. And especially, you know, that 13th to the win run the other night and just what we've seen out of him, he's, he's super fast. What, uh, you know, obviously being from Pennsylvania, you know, you've kind of watched that rise, but you know, what are your thoughts about shark and just, you know, that kind of that first year where we didn't even think they were going to finish the year to kind of where they've become. It's, it's incredible. And I think it says a lot for the people that they surround themselves with and who they have really in their corner, helping them out. Um, obviously Bobby, scruffy he's the legend there and and he's really the force that drives it but at the end of the day to see how much jacob's even grown you know um watching those two as you know not so much jacob but logan you know as as a teenager coming through the ranks in pennsylvania and just seeing what they've built in in these few short years coming from nothing i remember them telling stories about their hauler breaking down and all the craziness that they've dealt with. I think it's just built their character more than anything. And it's made them susceptible and be able to be flexible and know that, you know, when the moment's there to capitalize on it. And like I said, they've got really good people in their corner and I think they're doing it the right way, even though at the beginning it was a little rough. We've got like this kind of insane rookie battle too with the outlaws. You know, we've got four guys that are going to chase this thing and, and they've all like already won world of outlaws races where, you know, who do you think comes out on top there? You know, is it Reitzel, you know, or, or somebody like can J Mac kind of overcome this hole he's going to enter in when, you know, when he finally gets here? Yeah. I mean, obviously Aaron with his all-star championships that he has, but I think coming to the world of outlaws is going to be a little bit different. Not that his talent level isn't there. I think he's easily going to be a front runner, but I think the schedule is going to be a lot different. You know, it's, it's going to be a lot more nights on the road away from home, even though he's from Texas, there's still that comfort level of knowing that with the all-stars, you're kind of staying Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania. You're really not on the road for hours and days at a time. Um, so that could, I think play into it. Um, it'll be interesting to see James. Um, I think he's going to be, I mean, we've seen how quickly him and Casey have meshed in that nine car and what they've done there and coming off hot like he has. But like you said, staying at home, um, knowing that he's got a, a little one on the way waiting for him to arrive. And I think that might also set a fire underneath him to, to really take a charge and, and really make things happen just because he's got so much to really race for, if you will. Well, we've already got five all-star races now in the books. You know, who is the title favorite with the all-stars? Like, you know, we think it may be Eliason and Marks, but, you know, could somebody else you think jump up here and win this thing, Baylog or, you know, some of these other guys? I do, um, just because I don't really think they start points racing until... Yeah, at, at, Attica's yeah. the first race. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, this is obviously a test run, and, and there's nothing that can provide anything more than seat time, just getting laps behind the wheel. Um, obviously, I want to say Brent Marks because he's a central PA guy, but really, even the All-Stars have become extremely stout over the last couple of years. Um, so I really think that's up in the books as well. I, I don't know. That one's a tough one. Yeah, that one's definitely wide open. Well, I will let you go. I certainly appreciate the time this morning, but uh, give me give me the plug city, Wing Nation, Lethal. Where can people find you, keep up with everything? What's uh, what's all that stuff? Yes, you can uh, go out to wingnation.com, get our gear, see what's going on with Aaron and Steve and I, where we're at, where we're traveling. 
Um, with Lethal Chassis, you can go to lethalchassis.com. Um, we've got our gear on there and then obviously on Facebook. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Shremmy. And uh, sometimes I give a little inside tour of, of where I'm at and what I'm seeing. This week it's been a little crazy, so it's just a lot of retweeting dirt car at this point. <laughs> but, but yeah, we have a lot of fun. We do a little bit of adventure here and there, so be sure to follow along. And I thanks for it. having me, Justin. I appreciate it. As we mentioned at the outset, Ashley was at Dirt Car Nationals with husband David, who was not only racing, but the two were also there supporting their lethal chassis customers. I appreciate her taking some time to chat during a busy week. It was really great to catch up with her and make sure to check her, Steve Post, and Aaron Evernham out weekly on Winged Nation from MRN. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.